Hello, everybody, and welcome to the podcast number 43. Um, before we start the podcast, I want to remind you that every month uh, we are sending a newsletter with the best of, of uh, the last month of the podcast. So, yeah, this will be the day where we're sending sending the newsletter. So if you want to if you want to be part of it and be part of our creative tribe, just join the newsletter uh, on the link below. Easily click put your email, your name, and you're good to go. And um, yeah, so now I want to start by introducing you the guest of today, which is Tudor Vasilio. Um, he's the founder of the Panopticon. Uh, the Panopticon is a Romanian archivist studio based in Bucharest, Romania. And the Panopticon is also the winner of the Best Architectural Image Award 2019, given by CG Architect which is basically the Oscars for archivists. So yeah, it was amazing having Tudor on the on the podcast. He's definitely an amazing entrepreneur, but he is also a thinker, a sort of philosopher. We I think we barely talked uh, really about archivists, but it was more about way of approaching things and way of approaching uh, life and creativity. So it was really nice talking to him and it was great meeting him. So I hope uh, you're going to enjoy in our conversation and the rest of the podcast. And before we start, I want to remind you that also, if you like our work, the way to support us for free is just to click the links below and maybe follow us on Instagram or LinkedIn, Facebook. Um, so Instagram is at TCI Podcast and Facebook and LinkedIn are the Creative Insider pages. So thank you and enjoy the conversation. Tudor, how are you doing, man? Hi, Georgie. Very well, my friend. Enjoying the sun beyond the clouds today. <laughs> yeah, we we have actually finally, after like three months of clouds, a uh, little bit of sun here in Frankfurt too. Uh, Congratulations! So, so it's nice <laughs> to see. It's finally, it's finally the the sun has come. Uh, you're the second guest of um, my podcast from Romania, and it's I'm always happy to have people from that area because, as you might know, I originally I'm I'm born in Bulgaria. I lived there until I was uh, seven, eight, something like that, and then I moved to Italy. And in Italy, I had also lots of Romanian friends, so it's uh, I have a lot of connections with Romania somehow. So it's it's that's cool awesome. Have, that's awesome, brother. <laughs> Thanks for yeah. inviting me. It's an honor. It's a pleasure. Uh, yeah. Even if we come in second, <laughs> <Yeah>. well, <laughs> it's good enough. 
<laughs> yeah, it's good enough for me. <laughs> good enough. Well, you know, I have also to to I had to interview someone that was easier to get to to get to you. You know, you're you're the hardest. <laughs> don't don't do that, man. He's gonna be upset. <laughs> no, joking. no we're joking. We're joking, dude. So no, but uh, that was uh, like and one things pulls the other because through the podcast I did with Lucian, who's uh, it was a very cool podcast. Uh, I had a lot of fun talking to him. Um, we connected, and then I told her, "Why not? It's interesting to know more about uh, about more people from from Romania and more creatives from there." And uh, also, was funny because in the beginning I didn't know uh, what exactly your office do, and then I figured out that you did the images of a project which is currently being built, and I did the master thesis uh on that topic as an alternative project so it was like so funny to to talk to the images that to the guy who did the images which i watched maybe for like months <laughs> well yeah yeah that's a coincidence it's uh it's nice when you know you, you find someone who connected with with the project with the work uh, whoever did uh, someone pr something previous to to the work that we're that we're doing um, there was also a project at some point we did uh, for a major client, and uh, at some point there was a guy on on Instagram, and he was saying, you know, I worked on that image. That's I'm the reason why there's a there's an aerial shot that you used, and uh, I did the original uh, images, and then you took over and you update just made an update. I was like, yeah, you know, <laughs> this is how it works. He he used to work for the architect, and um, it was it was really nice to know the guy and uh, appreciate the the stuff that he, that he had done. He had set up the the views and all that, so we just uh, took over and uh, did the not so heavy lifting in the end. Well, uh, that, that's also <laughs> part of the job. Um, I'm curious to know about your background because we don't know each other. So with every guest, I start from the beginning. Uh, I'm curious yeah, sure. uh, when in your life, I guess you're an architect. Uh, yes, I am. I most, am. Most, most of the, most of the uh, people in the business are from that, uh, with that background. Was there a moment in your life or someone in your family that drive you towards architecture or how did that happen? For sure. For sure. My, my parents are architects. Um, their brother and sister so my, my dad has a brother who's an architect. My mother has a sister who's an architect. So it was um, pretty obvious that at least one in the family would end up being an architect and going uh, for that road. And it was me in the family. My sister's a psychologist. Uh, but she trained to um, get into the architecture school for like a year and a half. And she decided last minute it wasn't her so she took a different kind of a different path but yes i was predetermined um maybe it was a voluntary thing but i i think uh you know the the lifestyle the the attitude my parents had the friends um sort of the parties that was during communist years in uh, in romania when ceausescu was still in power so <clears throat> architects were uh, sort of this privileged not, not privileged financially or politically in any way. Uh, it's quite the opposite. But the open-minded discussions and the information that they 
um, actually wanted to to have in their lives and the music, you know, the you know, Beatles and rock and maybe punk, but not so much. Uh, everything created this uh, this uh, interesting vibe to what to what they were about, and I, I guess that I, I was attracted to that more than more than the 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 work itself. Um, it was just something that I wanted to be like someone that I wanted to be like when I grew up. So it was predetermined for me at a very early age. <laughs> because you're the first one that I know that it's uh, so it has a family so deeply into architecture <laughs> because that's a lot of architects in the family. Um, do you think that uh, because you mentioned they were listening uh, this sort of different kind of music and having different kinds of topic, uh, do you think that back in the days, uh, in that period of time, uh, that was their way to sort of uh, have a little bit of a breath of freedom? Because I guess also in what they were designing and what they were doing, they weren't completely free or how was that? Because it's interesting to me to know someone. That- Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, um, I mean, the, the way things worked back then, um, of course, the, the state would uh, impose um, everything in, in everything. So lives were pretty much um, set to be, to be carried out within boundaries. Um, there was control, obviously, uh, secret police, uh, phones were tapped. So every, everything was like a big brother system set in place. And, um, you know, the food was rationalized. Um, you would have to get in line just to get, a, you know, a piece of butter or meat. You would only get uh, once a week or once a month. It was it was pretty tough. But people were were optimistic. And I guess um, they they found ways uh, around uh, this this thing. And I found the same in Cuba where people are quite happy and well fed. And they lead um, pretty normal lives. You don't see uh, star- starving children or starving adults. Of course, there's poverty, but you know they they find ways around it. And there's a black market and stuff like that. But life fa- finds ways around these uh, these these problems. And creatively, uh, people are people, and intellectuals, um, I believe, have 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 always had a a drive. And wherever you look historically, intellectuals were the ones who drove, who drove uh, revolutions, who drove, you know, um, creative um, uh, circles. And uh, they, they were the ones um, sometimes uh, uh, involved in politics. So it, I think it's only normal that, uh, that architects among the, the liberal uh, practices would become this kind of uh, enclave of uh, creativity and uh, you know people trying to break free from the limitations. So yeah, these are the these are the architects worldwide. Even nowadays, they all consider themselves to be a bit uh, uh, apart from the from the rest. Uh, yeah, I this is why I decided. This is also something that I had in the back of my mind when the podcast started that. Uh, this is sort of a new way of media, a new form of media where we can spread some message, uh, not only about, you know, um, creative process, but also let's see what are the positions about certain topic of architects and other creatives. Because I right. think that nowadays this dialogue 
it's a little bit like um, not that loud. Um, uh, we don't tend to take positions or not that strongly as in the past. I think that it's sort of before the creatives were leading sort of the way, you know, setting the trend. And now there is a trend who's, which is set from whatever the market or the people. And we try to adapt and follow and, and, and yeah, I, I think I, I feel this difference a little bit because before really. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I agree. I agree. But um, I would say that, you know, there the were trends before, just not that um, obvious and uh, not in so large numbers and not that strong, perhaps. But I think, um, you know, you, you always had limitations. And, um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a film that I love by Lars von Trier. Um, it's called uh, Five Obstructions, and you might know it. And um, <clears throat> it's a film where he, he invites his former teacher, Jürgen Lett, um, who had created a film called The Perfect uh, Human uh, or The Perfect Man. And he invites the teacher to redo the film, um, having uh, huge obstructions every time. So these obstructions are so great that the teacher himself is appalled by the by you know he he can't he has difficulty finding ways to even produce a film with those uh, with those limitations. One of them is like use only sequences of one second, you know, and just produce a short a short film. And I, I believe you know uh, Las Montiel is limited uh, is is actually uh, fascinated by by limitations and by by these boundaries that. You need to work with, and I think uh, we're all um, uh, have to. We, we all have to carry uh, doing what we do with uh, within the, the you know various boundaries, which are cultural, which are you know trends, which are market, which are you know um, social or anything. So I think it's it's probably the same. It's just a mutation on steroids nowadays, and it's it's a there's a lot of noise also. So you, you gotta be, you have to be a vocal, very vocal. Also, things. yeah, it's everything more polarized, and uh, I think this is also a thing. Um, and so, from the podcast with Lucian, I figure out, like he said a little bit, how people access the university in Romania. Uh, did you study in Romania? And did the fact that um, you have uh, so many relatives that already are architect helped you to prepare for that? Uh, or to guide you? Did you have like a homeschool for getting into the architectural university or was it as hard as for anyone else? Um, hard it was. I mean, hard work, hard work, definitely. I, except for my parents being architect, architects and I being fascinated with, uh, I don't know, drawing as any child is, um, I, I had to take some, you know, some drawing classes before the exam because without the drawing classes, you cannot pass the exam. Um, and that, that took a couple of years. Everybody, almost everyone uh, who wants to enter university has to pass through at least a couple of years of uh, training because the exam is really tough. I mean, you, you have uh, technical drawing, you have uh, artistic drawing, um, it's, it's, it's tough. 
and then you have math. So you also take to, uh, need to have uh, some some classes around math <laughs> if you're not good at math as I used to be, uh, as I wasn't actually, because <laughs> I was I sucked at math and physics and all that stuff. Although I'm, uh, you know, anyway, anyhow. Uh, so it my parents didn't prepare me for that. I I had to do it uh, on the side. Um, so that's how that's how we. Uh, we managed to pass the exam, all of, the, all of us architects in, in Bucharest. Yeah, it's uh, similar to what I've heard about Bulgaria because uh, there we, you need to draw very well and to do like a test of math and physics. Um, in, in Rome, where I started studying to access the university, I needed to pass like a test with 80 questions and they were not all related to architecture because the oh. idea... The idea of um, the Italian system and how you access universities is that um, you have to give opportunity to everyone to get into the university. Uh, and you don't like I, what I liked about Italy is that nobody needs to take extra classes for for entering the university because um, in countries like Bulgaria, Romania, um people like me and you are lucky enough but there are other people maybe not from the main cities or uh That's right. which the educational system really if if you're not born a genius somehow That's right. you won't be able to level up your social level it's going to be hard that's a misfortune of of these systems where uh there's a, a high entry barrier and uh, unless your parents invest in you and I know many many people who didn't have the means uh, to do that or they entered university and then, then they had to maybe cancel because their parents couldn't afford to to pay their their uh, schooling fees I know people like that and uh, you know it's a it's unfair and I was lucky you know with you know having parents the, who could afford this and then I was lucky to go study in Switzerland and I was lucky to go study in, in the Netherlands uh, with scholarship, uh, definitely, um, along the, uh, you know, Switzerland was my second year, um, Eindhoven was my fifth year. I always came back <laughs> after these years for some reason. Um, but without the support of my parents, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been able to, uh, to, uh, to go there and stay there. Uh, even if, you know, um, like, I mean, Switzerland and uh, both Switzerland and uh, Netherlands require uh, guarantees. So you need to have money placed into an account that guarantees that you have the means to support yourself while, while you're there. And uh, I remember when I was in Switzerland, my parents needed to have an account in U.S. dollar, which was pretty um hard to have but um you know back then in 98 um and they my, my my father had a friend who was some president at citibank and that guy helped my dad so they were colleagues in this uh, mba executive mba that they took together and that's how they knew each other my dad's not a, a bank ceo or anything <laughs> so he he was able to open an account and uh, I don't know have some have some money put in there so I could you know just go study. So, so I, you, yeah, I, so I, it's it's not fair in my in my view and uh, the system still runs. 
unfortunately. Yes, um, it's it's something that it's like very clear to me as someone that's because I'm in a, this sort of very weird situation where I'm Bulgarian, but I'm also I have lived most of my time abroad. And you can see with distance uh, the whole situation, the whole picture. And you have also like you can compare with countries like I mean, Italy is not the most advanced in uh, sort of social politics uh, country in Europe or in the world. But I th- and also, for example, in Italy, there is a proportional system of the fees of of the university, which means like if your parents are like architect and they earn more than somebody that's whose parents are maybe uh, I don't know working on a construction place or earning less money, then you pay less university. So that even even if you're coming from a or not, for example, we had some. Albanian um, guys at our university, which just came to study, and they didn't, they didn't have anything like really on their own, so they didn't pay anything for university, which for me was a pretty good system. And um, but you said you did one year in Romania, and then you went to Switzerland with some exchange program, or how did that work? That worked. Uh, that was supposed to be a full uh, scholarship. For the entire, um, I don't know, five years of university, um, it was the uh, the University of uh, Mario Botta in uh, Mendrisio, the uh, Accademia di Architettura di Mendrisio. Um, you might know it. And um, the the thing is, the place was 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 quite small, so it was just their third year. Of course, they had students maybe 300 or something students per year. So the little village of 7,000 inhabitants was, you know, getting more population. But I guess the the biggest problem for me was coming from a large city where, you know, you had uh, stuff and people and friends and all that to a very small village um, where every shop would be closed by 6 p.m., and uh, there was not much you could do. And, uh, you know, I was limited by my scholarship, which I mostly entirely uh, uh, paid uh, rent and food with. So there was not much freedom for me. I was just my second year. So I think I was, it's probably the first time I, I was depressed in ever, like in my life. So... Um, it wasn't a it wasn't a very bad thing, but uh, at the end of the first year, I decided I would rather go get back and be with you know with with people, with family and people and friends, than uh, carry on down there. So uh, for some people that uh, I mean, I, I, there was another Romanian friend uh, of mine who's still there and he's working in uh, Mendrisio. He's uh, he has his own company there. Uh, he came from a uh, from a smaller uh, town uh, somewhere uh, in in Romania, and he wasn't bothered at all by the silence and by the by the lack of you know action, like I was. So it was just I think just this kind of pressure and my mental health I guess was was more important than uh, the benefits. Benefits were huge. I mean, you had all the all the teachers. You had Peter Zumtor. You had. Uh, um, you know, amazing names um, in, in, in architecture and architecture history. 
people who wrote architecture books, um, but you know it wasn't enough <laughs> for me. I was a child still. Well, I um, I don't know. I I always like, for example, because uh, I've seen many people achieving good, great things even without a attending such a university classes or universities at all uh, I think that it's more like um, it's what the university gives you as um, infrastructure what is the main thing because for example um, I came to Frankfurt as an Erasmus student and here the university it's a Fachhochschule which means it's uh, applied sciences so it's in Germany, you have university and these applied sciences schools, which are supposed to be like one level lower than university. But I was a guy who didn't like so much theory. I like, you know, designing. And we had like laser cutters, uh, a whole workshop where you can build models. You right. had a room exactly. where you can work 24 hours with a card and you had your own spot with a shop for materials right next to the university so i think that um I, i mentioned that also in one of the past podcasts because one guy went to the Städelschule here in frankfurt which is sort of the aa of germany and yeah. um yeah if you're lazy and if you don't like what you're doing even if they even the your teacher is i don't know the best architect ever existed you won't be you won't be good so i think and also i think it's very important That's so to, true so true yeah the life the life balance also like if you don't enjoy your life while you're studying with peter zumter or whoever it's not uh, the best but so you were supposed to be there for longer time but you went back i came back uh, and i think my my decision was influenced by one of the other romanian friends um who's also very very good um uh, but he I, i think he had a girlfriend here and he didn't want to let her go <laughs> he couldn't be there forever so he he said oh, yeah i'm going back no matter what i was like well if you're going back i'm going back because i'm i'm totally not happy down here so um the the upside was that during that year i i really understood <clears throat> the importance of conceptual thinking and uh, of uh, self-study of access to information. As you said, you had access to all these uh, tools and workshops uh, and uh, magazines and books. And I really understood that if you know what you're after and um, the, the, the fact that the, the, the design is not a copy, but it must be backed up by, you know, a theoretic, theoretical approach by a, a construction, um, whether it's, you know, it's physical, it's aesthetic, it's uh, backed up by research. Um, that is the main takeaway that I, that I had during that year um, uh, with all these people, amazing people around me and uh, the, the, the access to the resources that they had. So mm, as you said, being lazy doesn't get you anywhere uh, if you don't put in the work and not even the best schools can, uh, can upgrade you if you don't want to be upgraded. So you have to take it within uh, your hands and decide what you're going to do. I mean, you're back then in 1998, 1999, we had to, I don't know, um, find magazines, buy them online because, you know, some universities and especially 
the one in Bucharest did, wasn't wasn't that uh, full of um, of these uh, up to date magazines and stuff like that. So the internet was is not uh, wasn't what it is. Uh, there wasn't there were no you know no free tutorials on architecture. <laughs> I think there's barely any right now. Architecture is like so ethereal. Nobody teaches architecture on on uh, YouTube. You just but you get lectures and stuff. And I remember I used to go to to lectures and even in my fifth year, I used to go to the Berlache Institute in, in uh, Rotterdam. Um, that was, you know, Berlache is one of the top uh, post-grad schools, very, very expensive. And it took many, many years for them to eventually decide to, to upload their lectures online for free because you would, you know, you'd have to pay. Uh, to get there and see the lectures but the mindset was so different and you really needed to pay a uh, heavy dollar as they say for uh for information and that's that's pretty sad but you know that's how it was <laughs> but i think that um nowadays is on the contrary because a few years ago i have a friend who is teaching some classes at the university here in frankfurt uh so i went to to the presentation of the projects of the students they were like first year students and uh or second year something like that and um due to due to the fact that now you have everything online like imagine like every single person you think about if you google them and you go on youtube for example, you'll find lectures from the AA, from Harvard, from like you could really, really have on right away, even on your phone, uh, the the lecture of the high, the, the the best of the best. And these guys, when they presented their project, and I suggested them like uh, to look at this thing and that other thing, you know, online because myself, I'm I was very obsessed with doing my projects. Like I wanted and I wanted to do the best possible project I would reverse engineer also like the drawings you know like take the colors the trees the stuff like that and um, I would do sort of um, you know researches online and then I'll be like okay uh, this guy I would go on google maps for example and and, uh, search for Mm -hmm. architects in Denmark and then I would go through all the websites and uh, find them on YouTube and stuff like that and um, nowadays there is not so much curiosity because there is abundance of I think of information, and people are like whatever, like it's there. It's I the cannot... flip side, the flip yeah. side of too much information. Yeah, but I, yeah, we, I think we need to find focus, and uh, I don't know who who's responsible for finding you know for uh, giving these these people focus. Um, I I I know that. I, I I had to upgrade my uh, central core database. You know, I I was aware uh, most of the time I was aware I didn't know enough, and probably that's one of my my traits. I'm trying to I'm very very curious all the time. So probably for me now it's the best time because um, there's so much I didn't have when I when I grew up. And I find myself uh, in we- during weekends or in evenings just going through video after video at uh, 2x speed just to get more information. And I'm, you know, my books, I listen to them at 2x or even <laughs> more if possible. 
um, because I, I'm just discovering, you know, lectures that I knew existed or didn't know existed that uh, kind of inspire me. And these are architecture uh, related stuff. Of course, Archviz and all that uh, is, is also there, but architecture, film, uh, photography, uh, photographers talking about uh, their work, uh, Rem Kohas and, uh, speaking five years ago about the, um, I don't know, about the rural aspects of the, of the world. And he's like uh, super, super um, present with the same discourse today. I mean, he's super relevant. Um, there's definitely too much information, but I guess it's just a, a way of curating that, that you need to need to be aware of it. You have to be a curator of your information to craft who you want to become. That's exactly right. And you mentioned you went to the Netherlands. How, what happened? Because you were one year in Switzerland and you went back to Romania for how long? I don't know. I think uh, for three uh two three four something like three or four four years and my oh, fifth year study. was yeah study st i studied in, in romania i was also lucky to have a, a teacher that's uh, who's super super cool um he, he uh, he's called uh, dorin stefan um and uh, he's one of the cooler architects and fresh open-minded uh people that uh that work around here And uh, it was it was really cool. I mean, uh, doing the projects um, uh, along that those years was was a pleasure because we had to do our research uh, and um, you know support all the decisions that we were making. I at least that that's what I were do I was doing, and a couple of friends of mine, a few friends of mine that I was really close with, um, they were also into research and uh, you know finding new ways of doing things. Of course, there, there, there were people around us who uh, were happy with copying some, you know, visualization style and uh, some picture in a magazine. And um, for us, it was, it was just uh, not the way. Uh, not that I'm a great architect now, because I'm obviously incompetent after so many years of doing just Archvis. Uh, but it was a it was my my greatest love in life um, architecture I would say. And uh, at what point you decided to go to the Netherlands? Um, you know they they had these um, these opportunities almost every year, and I I remember I applied to go to Paris once, and I got the scholarship. I think it was my fourth year, or my third or fourth year uh, year, but. Um, The Paris La Seine University that I had gotten into for a year, uh, I, you know, looked it up. Some friends told me it's not that good. Probably I shouldn't have listened to them, um, and I should have just gone for it. <laughs> But I decided to wait. So in my fifth year, it was another um, opportunity for another scholarship, and it was just uh, uh, an exam uh, of, uh, I think, English language. And it was like obvious. Uh, it was so easy for me. So I got this shot and I took it and it, I really appreciated it. I mean, it was again, once again, an open, an eye-opening experience, uh, realizing that, uh, you know, how advanced and how open and how, um, I don't know, um, 
open, I would say, people were uh, towards students, how the whole mindset was, was fully um, rooted in other values than the, the local ones. Um, can't say how much it means for, for anyone to grab the opportunity of uh, studying in a different school. It just changes you and it rewires, it repoints you in life, I, I think. It's not about, you know, um, spending the rest of your life in, I don't know, wherever you want to go in France or, or whatnot. It's just, uh, it's just personal growth and it's it, intellectual growth. It's assuming and um, acknowledging the fact that, you know, you cannot cheat on your exams like <laughs> um, a local, uh, like everyone does. It's a, cheat, a culture, culture of cheating in Romania, I believe. Uh, if you don't, if you haven't studied you just write things down on a small piece of paper and you just pass the exam. <laughs> Up in there Italy. is there's no such thing, you know. In Italy and <laughs> Bulgaria, it's the way the same way. You do whatever you need to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did it myself. I did it myself, but I'm I don't know. Um if I if I'm not good at math, I you know, I just gotta get to the end of this, you know, the end end of university so I can do what I what I like. And then you'll get specialists, you'll get engineers, you'll get uh, uh, other smarter people than you who, who are going to help out. And I did that, you know, I, I, I did design for, for a few years. I worked throughout university and even after for, for one year before I opened the first studio, uh, Archivist Studio. But, um, you know, these schools are, were just about uh, being truly involved in the, in, the, in the matters that were getting studied. And uh, not uh, having you, you know, cheat on the stupid exam, because yeah, teaching was was real, better in my view. Yeah, and today it's also very easy to get to study somewhere else because uh, now Bulgaria and Romania are also part of the EU, and a lot of countries Absolutely. are part of the EU. So you have this whole Erasmus pro program, and it's even better because people which are coming from countries like Bulgaria or Romania get even more money per, per month, like a, a sort of a small salary where you can go really cover your expenses, stay there for a year. And I think uh, a part of the what you're going to learn there, really, if you're someone that uh, has lived mostly in your own country and without having long experiences abroad, it's going to open your mentality a lot and you're going to discover how, you know, connected people are around the globe. Because, for example, when yeah. I was here, there were like people not only from Germany, but there were people from um, the U.S., from Korea, from China, from Spain, from Finland, from Denmark, from Italy. So many different from Spain, from Mexico and you understand that people can be good people or jerks, no matter what skin is their like, what is the color of their skin, what is their culture, what is their religion, uh, and um, I I think it's something very op op open minding and like I think in a in a union like the EU that should be mandatory and should be more like supported economically so that more and more people. Yeah, man, I think you're, take... you're absolutely right. You should, you should do an exchange. 
at some point. And it's not just for the mind and for this, you know, for the soul, for friends, but you also get a network that later in life uh, you may want to appreciate. If even if you just, uh, you know, globe trot around and uh, you can meet some some of your ex uh, university uh, friends uh, or colleagues. Uh, you have friends in Italy. You have friends in France. Uh, these people, you know, eventually will. Uh, create architecture and will work and they will have their own offices or they, they, they will work for someone and this becomes your network and uh, I don't I'm not saying that um, it's an absolute like uh, source of, of uh, leads for someone who goes to school and uh, makes friends but it kind of matters it matters and exchanging and going abroad just uh, exposes you to um, other people who who can connect you to other people and these these studios and wherever i'm looking i mean i'm i'm not just talking about the romanian studios that are doing archviz at you know and working internationally but other people most of them have have just changed schools or they have they have worked for uh, international studios abroad And that's where they they uh, connected to people who later in life just brought them leads or you know friends um, uh, referrals from friends are far more potent than any you know cold email or cold call you would uh, would try to do as a during your sales process, which you know how it works. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've I've said that already in the past that I see these exchange programs like the modern way of serve, serving before you were used to serving the army or so, social service. Uh, nowadays, they should do like one year where you're gone somewhere for one year, you pick up a country or whatever, or like a, even if it's a similar country to yours, different one. You go there for a year. Uh, it's not that bad as serving in the military. You learn also some side things like cooking for yourself, cleaning yourself, <laughs> and stuff like that. And uh, and then you you get this new new mindset, which it will be benefit the whole um, economy and the social life. I think inside a, a melting pot of cultures like the EU. Um, but you mentioned you opened your first office after university. How did you transition from um, from university to to being a professional? Did you start in Romania or did you start somewhere else? Um, so the the thing with architecture is, you know, an architect needs to be skilled at. He needs to have presentation skills. Uh, I took a class in in uh, Eindhoven called. Uh, presentation skills or something like that and it was about not just uh, you know it wasn't about rendering or anything it was just about communicating your ideas and uh, until then I, I hadn't I mean I had realized it was important to be to be pro a pro at it but um, it then became quite clear to me that the way uh, I was pushing um, Uh, visualization into my projects and this was also due to a friend of mine who was very skilled at the at the at this stuff and we were kind of learning together and um, since we were good at it and we had done work um, along the university for ourselves and for other people uh, I, I even uh, 
had created some images for my dad. He had a he's an architect, obviously, so he kind of needed help on some some things. So it became obvious that um, after a while, um, after uh, you know getting small uh, commissions and uh, doing renderings for others, um, this was a a powerful tool that could become a business. So we made kind of made a, a a very you know conscious decision to just quit our jobs that we had um and my friend was was uh, he had been uh working for you know serious architecture studios uh for quite um a lot of years before he took the leap um and i used to do the same but um there was one one shot after uh, my first year of of uh, really being full time employed not uh, you know after i, fin I finished uh, studying when there was this uh, this opportunity to work on a real estate uh, project large scale uh, residential project also came uh, this this opportunity came came from a friend of my sister um she pushed uh, she pushed this project. She said, "Like, uh, can you guys do this? Because I know your your sister told me you're uh, doing, you know, renderings and stuff like that. Let's let's talk. Let me know what you think." And this this uh, she was working for Collier's, uh, you know, the real estate consultancy. And then uh, most of the the projects that they did with their clients uh, that they consulted for, they passed through our hands. So we were pretty lucky to, to start, you know, big in a way. Uh, quality of the work, we kept on pushing it and pushing it. And of course, uh, eventually it turned into a business really quickly. And also, you know, uh, everything that followed was uh, was around, uh, around building a business and whatever uh, followed after that. But that this was the beginning. This first studio was uh, already towards our archivists, not like uh, architecture. We we had a couple of uh, streams, let's call them. Um, we mainly got together to create, uh, to do archivists. And um, we did that. In parallel, we would also uh, take uh, occasional design commissions, architectural design, classical architectural design commissions. Uh, my friend and his wife, they were, I think they were uh, more into that than, than I was. So we, we occasionally were working on, on design projects. Eventually I, I decided to completely drop that line because I, I couldn't do everything. And I realized I wasn't, uh, I didn't have the skill and the, 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 the knowledge um, uh, because I wasn't doing it uh, full time. And my main focus was on Archviz, in fact. And that went on for, for like seven years till we uh, decided to, to separate and do, uh, uh, do it on our, our own. We went through uh, the first recession together, um, you know, we switched from real estate to architecture design firms. Uh, and that's when we, we kind of went global. We went out of the, of the local market into the global market with the architecture design studios. Did you, do you, did somehow help you the fact that you come from a family of architects to get these first leads 
um, because um, in the architectural field and in industry, it's always important, you know, to have like references in, uh, by that I mean like a portfolio where you show uh, projects that are built or have been done and, and I mean, coming from a family which is already has done something for sure, it made you more legit or you think that there was anything connected with that? I don't think I don't think there was much around that because the leads came from me going in doing architecture. I mean, going to architecture school, um, being uh, involved with visualization across uh, you know all my projects and other people's projects, and uh, we both, me and my partner, we had a we both had a portfolio that uh, you know showed that there was some some skill. Uh, in there and uh, the family just you know became a side uh, a side story uh, to that it was I think uh, it was just you know the work that eventually put us on the map and the fact that we 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 had to you know we there was as I said there wasn't there wasn't much information there weren't many tutorials there was nothing almost just other studios across the planet that were doing we're trying to do great work and we were looking up to those and seeing uh, how we could push the the the, um, the envelope and i think that, that that became the the you know our identity and what kind of drew people to toward to us in a way but when was your first uh sort of so to say uh moment where you figured out um more about archivists in a digital way and started wrapping your mind around the idea of becoming specialized in that was that a sort of a gradually came through your experience or or and when did you discover it in, because i think early early 2000 was it already established uh, very much as a business or um so the business the actual business started in 2006 we we didn't have a name or an identity or anything bef before then uh for personally for me i think uh since i was i was drawn to uh to drawing um and i i loved drawing i wasn't that good as others i mean there were, there were other people uh, friends uh and colleagues who were natively endowed you know in drawing you they had the you know, the eye and the hand, um, I had to try hard. And I, I realized that by uh, copying photographs, you know, art, uh, architecture photography, I found out uh, how, how things worked, how shadows work with reflections and how uh, materials behave and stuff like that. So it was pretty early on that I realized um, that the computer, uh, it was actually in my second year, I, I uh, I had a computer in, in my home, but it just wasn't good enough. So seeing uh, renderings being done, and uh, of course, the, the, there was no V-Ray back then. So uh, when we found V-Ray, we were like, you know, mind blown. Uh, we were using Brazil for a while. It was it, Brazil was so slow, you would render images by you know eight 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 hundred by six hundred pixels in forty eight hours, that was the speed. 
So you had to improvise. You had to use Photoshop maybe to simulate things, to add color, you know, to add radiosity and stuff like that. So even before then, we were we would simulate a GI with uh, omnis in the scene, in the 3D scene. So it was it was fascinating to find ways to hack the computer to look like a like a you know to make make the image look like a rendering, like a proper. Uh, uh, GI radiosity and all of these <laughs> technical terms to make it look like a like a pro image, and I think you know it was just one of these obstructions that got us uh, closer and uh, to the to the goals that we were we were after, and it was the the difficulty I think that uh, not the, the the easy path but the hard path um, that uh, that you know made us. Uh, persevere, I think. And was it 2006 uh, when it was already Panopticon, the name? No, 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 no. Uh, that was another name. Um, Panopticon started in 2013, 14. Um, it's the name is due to my fascination toward uh, uh, the the early writings of uh, Rem Kohas uh, and his studies around the. The Panopticon prison in Anheim, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he had a project he had done uh, very early in his career, uh, and the whole idea of, um, you know, how how uh, he would flip certain concepts of intro versus outro. He had these, he had this uh, this wall of, I mean, he had a he had a set of bathrooms that. We're missing a wall, so all the, you know, the private uh, actions that were going on in the bathrooms were flipped to the other side. This is not in the Arnheim prison. This is in the Exodus project. So it's it's a bunch of, it's a bunch of projects and, and uh, this critical thinking behind behind these projects that really fascinated me when I was studying, and I ended up, uh, you know, saying that, you know, I would really like to. <laughs> To uh, brand my brand my my uh, my thing with with something that's so deep and meaningful, and maybe you know it's a promise to to find meaning uh, later on. And uh, and that started <laughs> when you split from your former partner. If I that's right, correct. That's right. That's right. I had to rebuild the the client base. Um, I was lucky again to be referred by friends uh, to various uh, studios. And um, yeah, it was you know it's it's great to to to, to be in a, in a team where um, people can do you know one does fifty percent of the work and the other one does fifty percent of the work, or in other cases you know people are not uh, the same don't have the same training and they can complete each other by uh, covering various parts of the business. We were both architects, so we we had to kind of cope just by doing. A lot of work together, um, but I I think you know it's important for people to to understand that the the business is not just uh, doing ArcVis. It's much more than that. And um, you know if you approach the business with a business mindset, then you have a much bigger chance to uh, to make it and to not suffer along the way, as most of us did. 
what do you mean by with a business mindset like more getting jobs which you wouldn't do anyways like to get the money or what is the approach you mean like business approach um business approach means um understanding that you need to to be able to scale your your skills uh, to find people that are good uh, at what you're doing but also people that are better than you um understand that the that the there must be a marketing and sales process um, the growth mindset is really important and it's that's i think that's the highest barrier to cross in our field because we're so focused on the work and on the quality and on the on the passion and all the all the discovery that we need to make that we most of the time forget um what it you know that we 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 kind of need to to see this as a business also um if you want to cross the boutique studio uh, kind of uh, uh size and uh format some people don't want to cross that you know i know people who are really happy you know just doing work uh, on on their own or with a friend or two and they just don't want to go past that but then you realize the the the, the i don't know the size of the project uh, after a while it becomes inaccessible for you or you know complexity or the the amount of feedback that you're getting uh, the expectations are so high that you must uh, think differently but yeah. I'm, i'm you know i'm not this is just one one piece of advice i have for for people uh, it's hard to 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 look outside of your of your mind Uh, but it's I think it's really important for for whoever enters the 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 field to understand this is a very serious game. It's very expensive. Uh, you need to pay for everything for the licenses. you need to pay your people well. you need to create an environment that's that's pleasant and it's not exploiting people like all the all the architecture studios do um, if you want to be you want in the right place. In, in the right mind <laughs> yeah i think uh that's uh very like this is something recurring that i i hear from entrepreneurs uh and i i like to read biographies of you know i like to read biographies in general because they're uh like about someone that has done something and i read uh for example the biography of uh, jack ma the guy that uh yeah allegedly it's still alive and runs alibaba or mm. it's disappeared anyways uh and he says like uh first is the client second are the employees and third are the, the shareholders so like you need to care of your clients but you need to take care also of your employees because uh they are the guys who are like uh sort of pulling the the whole thing Uh, forward and um, a lot of uh, you know a lot of architects uh, which are having their own firms or bigger studios they are like uh, we need to make happy the client no matter what it it takes and if you have constantly people coming and going from your firm it's also expensive for you because you need to you know make them first adapt to your workflow and then and and educate them sort of i guess because when you start a new job it's not always like clack you take a piece off and put another yeah so, so true so true you know i i can give you an example i mean thinking 
when to push back uh, the the request of a client is the the topic for <laughs> it has been the talk into uh, the topic for uh, uh, architects and uh, visual mostly visualizers so, so if you check out the videos that are being put out lately everybody talks about when when do you say no and it after a while becomes quite clear that the the happiness of whoever's making that that image or that uh you know film or whatever deliverable you're creating or just a mindset or a design right you can design as a as a visualizer you're doing design concept design but it's still design so whoever's making that should be happy if the way the try the the, the client treats uh, the work that he's doing with you or treats you eventually i mean it's not personal it's never personal it's almost never personal but the way you let this the, you let them treat you uh, impacts the happiness and the you know the mindset of of whoever works for you and with you so i think it's it's uh, you have to make a decision make the client happy or make your people happy and i would get I would guess that my conclusion, um, you know, will be make our people happy and start from there. Because as you said, if people go, you're left with nothing. You know, I can still do images, but I can do one image, not 10, not five. You know, I can do one and it doesn't help me much. Helps me, you know, get through the month. But it's, I think it's really important for us to understand that the client, you need to create a system where the client is happy and comfortable, but with the right boundaries that allow you to be calm, you, you allow you to be stress-free most of the time, allow you to you know, go home at six, allow you to be doing your family stuff during weekends, this is a, a rule. I mean, we, we work by these rules. The, the happiness factor is still <laughs> in progress, but at least uh, the freedom to go home after uh, the, the work is done is there. I mean, we, we, there's no exception, almost no exception for, for clients to, to use us after, you know, after the, the schedule is, is done and during weekends. Um, and I, I see this happening. I don't. I mean, I, I don't see this happening for um, architecture studios at all. These are all, you know, exploiting machines, uh, who you know just shred people and just, you know, spit them away if they don't uh, if they don't cope. I don't know if it's I don't know if you're talking about the the Romanian scene uh, here in Germany. It's depends like it depends really where yeah you, it depends it depends where you land. wouldn't be gen so general yeah where you about land. it yeah. but uh yeah it's it's a very very large topic i i can uh i have never been on your side so uh like i'm oh i'm still pretty fresh in the field because i work uh full-time only now i think five Four years, something like that. So I'm, uh, I have experience as an as an employee, but uh, 
never had my own business, never, never had the team to, to lead. So um, I, I cannot say from your perspective. From my perspective is sometimes, you know, as an employee, you feel frustrated because you, your work, it's some reflection of a decision that you haven't taken. Like if you take a project which has a crazy deadline and you bring it on my table, I didn't have the opportunity to tell you, dude, this is like impossible to do what you're asking me to do now. And this is something that's a little, you know, you have to be lucky to have the right boss who who, who takes the right decisions. And yeah, and I say right. that if you have to do a work for what is apparently a lot of money, but to do this job, you need to work a lot of hours. Your income is also not more because you just work more hours and spread among the hours you work, you get paid the same, you know. So yes. you can say yes. to your client, like, yes, look, I would love to do the work for you, but this is how we could do it. If that's okay with you, good. If not, uh, we're, we will be happy to hear from you from something else. Um, how big is your team now in, in Romania? We are seven, seven souls. Seven, seven happy souls <laughs> and right now. Are other partners now, or you are basically the manager of the? No, no, no. I'm I'm the founder and the the director. Let's call yeah. it or whatever. <laughs> uh, and um, the it's 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 me powered by you know power, we are powered by these amazing people. Um, you know, rowing at the same boat. Uh, that's called Panopticon. And I'm doing my best to, you know, to handle all these, to juggle all these balls, like, you know, happiness of, for everybody, happiness of the client, money, uh, sales uh, between brackets, because there's almost no sales process going on, uh, managing our income, uh, investing, it's 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 super cool. It's super cool. I mean, I'm I'm so passionate about these things. Uh, it's incredible how I never got bored. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it's I think it feels uh, very good when you do something on your on your own, where you're in charge of everything of the whole process. Uh, for example, I do this small podcast and all everything which uh, it's regarding it. It's so much fun and. Uh, it makes you want to put the extra hour. You may, you you always you know uh, very self-critical. You want to do better. You want to. It's sort of like a race against yourself. Uh, and um, I know what you mean. Yeah, it's like uh, damn. I I wanted if if I don't know if, if for everyone is like this. I guess that everyone who is slightly motivated to do something. Uh, has this spirit, this core that it's, uh, yes, to improve yourself every day and, you know, push yourself. Uh, I've said many times I have this tendency to to be very hard on myself, which I have to balance. Yeah, little. my friend, I know what you mean. So am I. <laughs> like it happens to me, for example, I record a podcast where I didn't uh, talk really uh, s smartly on the podcast or the audio was very bad and I'm like, fuck you motherfucker why did you do that <laughs> so bad it's like you've been doing this now 30 times and didn't manage to do it better and 
and then I'm like would go through YouTube videos to to check out how to do it better uh, or yeah or stuff like that and uh just uh, ne next time grab a grab a, a glass of wine have your uh, the person that you're interviewing grab grab another glass of wine and you're going to be so smooth no yes. problem at all just having having a good time because this is what it's all about isn't it i mean who cares about uh, you know a little stutter we're yeah. we're human yes true <laughs> i do now we're lucky enough that we're doing this on the weekend but sometimes i do it after after works during the week because some people you know as consider this work and they would be like i'm not doing anything on on the um, on the weekend and uh, I, w I should drink a coffee or a red bull before rather than a wine because so i get a little bit more pumped up <laughs> uh, <laughs> that would be that would be an option those things stress the heck out of me if i have coffee fuck i am pumped but stressed i become so stressed even tea kind of stresses me <laughs> yeah, i'd rather be I'd rather be calm than than pumped for these things or for anything <laughs> for that matter yeah um, it, it's funny how the how this podcast um software is called zendesk that's exactly what i'm trying to to find in in life you know the zen the full full life zen style during work uh, during you know sleep during free time whatever during a meeting let us all be calm and composed and you know how do we do that that's the greatest mystery i think that's why we all try to figure out and to do and uh it's balance is i think balance and being uh, aware of yourself are the two most important skills to learn in in life and always work on that because um i am also working on that because i tend to be like too much into leaning into one side or the other and balancing stuff and sometimes as you're not aware of what is going on also like why you're doing this or why you're doing that and um this is this is what i work on constantly because it's uh it's hard yeah i know i know what you mean the the thing is is what you were saying earlier that being a, a kind of leading a, a team or having a having a few people around you and being responsible for the for the, their well-being eventually that's that's quite you know it's quite a responsibility i mean some people tend to take it lightly and say you know whatever we don't have enough money to pay the wages or stuff like that that's really hardcore and every decision every sentence that you that you put out everything matters and it's really important for us as as um you know founders or um team leaders let's say to be aware of of these things and you know we're not perfect even if you if you talk to someone and you're saying stuff in a certain way and you know you can you can be mad you can be sad you can be you know whatever uh, life and clients make you feel like this gets passed on and i think happiness 
in a, in a way that's the that's the greatest um, uh, challenge in this uh, in 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 any work I think it's it's about making or, or at least ensuring that people can be happy if they chose not to be then you know it's their problem but that's the greatest challenge for me I I I would say uh, running a studio how do we uh, as a collective be remain curious how do we push ourselves to to find things out um how do we discover things together um how do we create um you know a happy place where where we work um i from our conversation in my opinion i could feel that you're very you know uh you you are also a lot into practice but also a lot into theory and uh, from your uh, background in architecture and what you have told me you like to you know listen to 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 um, presentations to to books to read um i'm curious did you read some literature on how to lead a team uh or how to run a business somehow like some or you figured out along the process um, because um, I've spoken on the podcast already with, for example, e Eric, who is the founder of Luxigon. And when I asked him this question, he's like, no, you just, uh, you just do, you just do. And then fucking do it. Fucking <laughs> reading, you just start doing it. But he maybe is a natural. So um, like, because also he said similar stuff like you did about the team. So I'm wondering, is it in your case also some of your natural sides to be compassionate towards your team and people who work for you? Or did you read also about these topics? The I think for, for me, it started off with my own life. Um, since architecture is about working nights <laughs> and weekends, so it really started with drawing and uh, the classes that we were taking were during weekends. And then you had so many assignments to do to complete by the next week or month that you had to spend nights and nights and nights doing them. And this was pre-university. Then university, the same, you know, projects and stuff, drinking, you know, two bottles of Coke uh, in a day with peanuts or whatnot. So it was it was just a continuous stream of identical approach to, to work and everybody was doing it. So I I thought mm, if if I have a business, then the business must run on on different in different terms. Because I knew I would get burned out uh, and uh, I wouldn't want the people that work with me to feel the same, you know, despair. <laughs> at the end of the week that, you know, this is the norm and you have to do things this way. So it was a responsible decision to, to switch, to make the switch. And then maybe, you know, I, I, I did read, I did read stuff. I looked stuff up on, on leadership, maybe Simon Sinek for, for instance, but most of the books that I, that I started, I, I, I don't get to finish. I have so many, that I that I'm um, checking out uh, that uh, you know I just uh, I think you know I try to imagine why I don't finish books. It's about time most of most of the time. 
um, then it's about the thing that probably I get the idea from just reading like a third of the book. Um, and then I, or I just get my takeaways out of that, uh, you know, third or 20 pages or 50 or hundred pages. Um, I like getting new information. Um, one thing that I, one other thing that I did, I, I got a business coach, uh, a couple of years back who um, brought a lot of uh, insight onto how the business seems to be running and what things I could do to improve and, you know, to make it run better. And most of that had to do with uh, um, standardizing certain things, uh, parametrizing, if I can uh, I say it like that, other things. Um, getting uh, these uh, meetings between uh, uh, you know ourselves in here uh, to work differently to involve people but the the, the being compassionate is not something you uh, you learn I you know it's it must be within you or you must understand that without compassion there's no cohesion there's nothing people just stop caring because yeah. there's there's burnout there's boredom and people would eventually get there one way or another you know just repeating the same work year after year they would definitely be bored at some point so how do you get them interested if you know if you're pushing them so hard that their uh, teeth will drop <laughs> it's just not gonna not gonna happen so uh, if if the question was around books yeah, there are some books like Creative, Creativity Inc. is a very interesting piece of writing around this thing. Um, it's uh, it's up to each of each of us to to you know pick up the the um, you know the right lessons. There is one that I that I want to read. Absolutely want to read. It's called the organization reinvented or the reinvented organization by uh, Lalou. I think it's Frederic Lalou, if I'm not mistaken. I'm just going to look it up. And it's, I, it is a book that uh, discusses all the aspects of, of organizations and uh, um, classifies them by structure and by the way they work and then gives you tips uh, very, very, you know, precise and accurate tips on how you can uh, restructure things to make things better. That's probably one of the best books I haven't I haven't read yet, <laughs> but I would highly recommend it. I'm currently reading, and it's uh, because when I read some books that are very uh, helpful in my opinion, I take notes, so I read them for a longer time, you know. To take my notes while reading a uh, very good book i can suggest you it's called super thinking um like the cover uh of the english ver i read them in english so the english version cover looks a little bit oh, cool mental models Love yeah that. and they have like you go through all these mental models and all these things to analyze stuff and it's so interesting because uh, this is what I meant, like with awareness, because those books, um, 
on different topics. Uh, another one, it's principles from Ray Dalio. Like, um, yeah, I have it. Are, are, are like books that a lot of the things you read there uh, like are pretty obvious, but it's sort of unconsciously obvious. Um, or another one that I read and I really loved is um, uh, Leadership Strategy and Tactics Field Manual from, from Joko Willing. I don't, I don't mm -hmm. know if you know Joko. He has no. a podcast about... He's a, he's a former Navy SEAL and um, he has led the SEAL Team uh, 6 Task Force Bruiser in Ramadi, which was like the toughest city in Iraq. And he I know Jocko. I know Jocko. Was, didn't he have a... Yeah, Extreme Ownership. That's the one yeah. that I got and I started and I, I thought it was a bit too militarish uh, for uh, me. But I, well, this sounds better. This field manual is also like, there are a lot of stories from his um, uh, military years, but it's uh, sort of like, um, yeah, there are a lot of like, you know, s rules that are taken from the military and then he applies them into life and um, or business or like when to, how to work within a team. And uh, it's, it's interesting because for example, this extreme ownership, uh, made me think about something really stupid which happened in my life for example um when i was a kid and i would do something disappointing uh my mom would never tell me like i'm so disappointed of you she would say something like um damn it why did it happen i i must haven't guide you enough or i must haven't like Maybe I didn't do the, the right job with you to explain why is this wrong. And when she would say that, I would feel way worse because I would be like, no, you did. I'm, I'm like mm. the wrong one. So, and this is something that happens in your life and you're not aware where it happens. But when then you read, you think, oh yeah, that was extreme ownership because she took, she didn't tell me you disappointed me. I'm like, because if you go to someone and tell them like you did that, then they would, Fire. yeah yes if you say like that's i must be very wrong. powerful yeah so it's and this is a stupid example that's nothing to do with military it's like my mom telling me i must have done something wrong if you did this and uh there was there was um there was there was one little thing that when i i was but how do you how did you conclude that you would have felt better if she had told you that you're to blame or no, or, I, would, I, I don't would, know, someone else is to blame. Um, no, I wouldn't feel better, but I would have reacted differently, you know? Like, mm -hmm. because the fact that, you know, if somebody comes and puts accusation on you, you tend to, you know, be like, no, no, like, you are You wrong. get defensive. Yeah, and sometimes also, I don't know, um, sometimes we tend to, a lot of times, to complain about others, but in... You have to take this thing uh, personally and be like, I don't know, uh, if my employee didn't do the right thing, I must have an explain enough. Or, in you know, of course, you always need to know, like, where is the limit? Like, there are some times where you say, okay, I've tried really everything. It is what it is. But, um, for example, I do that a lot, you know, um, at home with other things like i don't know in my relationship sometimes when i think like 
why this is done this way. I think, okay, I decided to be with this partner, with this girl. So I have to accept the way she is because I picked the decision. So it is what it is. And then you feel a little bit like relaxed, not like so like, you know, you avoid a lot of these pointless discussions, even in your like daily life. I think there's a there's a great great quality to being an overthinker, and um, to being uh, empathetical with uh, with people around you. You have to be careful not to overdo it, not to uh, over blame yourself for things. But no. that that's where we need to find balance between how much is our responsibility and how much is res- the responsibility of others. Because if you set the ground rules for something and you know the ground rules are being ignored by someone who knows they should be yeah, yeah. going by those rules. I mean, they, they can be in your relationship in in the office at, uh, I don't know, wherever on the street. Um, then, uh, you know, uh, these, this is one thing, I mean, extreme ownership around things that you think you're responsible for. Then there's the tone and the, the voice in which you, you express these things. And, uh, you know that's really important. And sometimes it's it's disconnected uh, from the actual thing. I mean, uh, voicing these these ideas and the way you you talk to people that's another huge topic. And uh, of course, you can blame yourself or say I don't care in in your mind, but the way you uh, create this this canvas of 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 uh, you know leadership or comfort or um, conversation, that's a totally different skill that we must learn. And it's it's not native uh, to anyone, I'm afraid. Yeah, We, we definitely must train ourselves it, in it, that direction. It's so funny that you're mentioning this because you have started reading this book, Extreme Ownership, and then there was the first book. And they, they did a second book, which is called The Economy of Leadership or something like that, which they were saying like, okay, guys, the, these things that we explained you in the first books, you need to balance them because there is always a dichotomy. And then they did the third book, which is for me, it's because I, I listened just the first two, I think, in audio form. Uh, and the third book, it's really like a ma- field manual, which is like really with, uh, happen- like for different occasions of your of your daily life. Uh, like some scenarios or stuff like that uh, because it's of course with everything it's uh, the dichotomy like you have to balance it what we were saying before like if you're too uh, too comp- like too harsh towards yourself it will be bad uh, if you're detached like you said how do you say stuff they say you need to say stuff detached like if I come to you with some issue I wouldn't be like blaming you I should be like calm but if you're too calm, then people don't take you seriously. And with everything, you need to find the like r- sweet spot where you like know where to push, <laughs> where to pull, and uh... <laughs> everything. Everything we do is wrong. <laughs> yeah. You have to be careful because whatever you do is wrong, my man. <laughs> but, we gotta go to school for that. <laughs> yeah. And, and nah, that... it's it's not that bad. It's not that bad. No, no. Um, and when you start, when you started the first, the first time to be, to, when you quit your job and when you started your first, uh, business as a, as a, like with your partner, um, did you feel, uh, some sort of like, um, 
I don't know, um, maybe fear, you know, because it's like, you know, general acceptance is that you have a job and uh, have a sure income monthly or whatever. And was it for you stressful or you were like still very young and you were like more like, I'm going to just jump and whatever? I don't remember any fear. <laughs> I don't have a, a very, very detailed memory of, uh, you know, historically of events in my life. But I just remember being so excited that we could do something like that. Uh, and we just, at least I was, you know, exhilaratingly happy <laughs> that we were uh, uh, creating this uh, this business of ours. And uh, I I remember being just um, um, uh, there was there was a lot of work coming in, so th there was no uh, thought. Maybe there were some you know some moments when you would finish up a project and you didn't know whether you would pick up another one or stuff like that. This always happens. Uh, but no, I don't think there was any fear. It was just, uh, let's go, dude, let's go and do this. And then we'll see, we'll just, uh, carry on and see what happens and we'll manage. You have to be a bit insane to do that. Yeah. Um, uh, to take the leap, but it's, it's well worth it. Were you still like at your parents' place or were you already independent with paying like bills, rent and stuff like that? Because sometimes when uh, you have like less expenses, easier to take the leap, you know, like worst case. Yeah, well, I, I don't remember that, but I think I was, I don't know. I remember maybe for a few months, for a few months perhaps, I was still living with my parents. But this was not the, I think uh, whoever it is I was dating back then or how my life was and it, you know, just evolved, made me, it was kind of independent. It didn't mean I had more money to, to pay for rent or anything like that. Uh, or maybe it happened. I don't, I don't remember. And at the end of the day, you just, you know, you have to do, uh, I, I mean, my parents or the rent that I would pay was not a problem for me Uh uh, doing work because I was I was doing work anyway uh, outside university I was getting paid you know a minimal wage um, for my job back then but it was enough for me so I never relied on on my parents for uh, you know expenses except for when I was living with them um, yeah how was last year when the whole things kicked in? Uh, did you need to shift a lot your working way at the company because of the, I don't know, lockdowns or um, did you, uh, did you lost some, some job, like some, some assignments you had? Yeah. Nice question. <laughs> That's the trick question. Um it was uh it when it started it was it was pretty uh, pretty hardcore because the project stopped for a, a month or so month and a half so we had to rethink um you know what we were doing and we didn't we didn't know what was what was going to happen so um unfortunately we had to cut wages temporarily 
um, to make it through the unknown uh, period that would that would uh, you know um, be in, be uh, be finished or not. So for for a while uh, we had to do that. Uh, we struggled to. I mean, we decided to to stay in the space that we are still in um, uh, right now because it's a very cool place to be in to work in work out of and uh eventually we we decided to you know uh for the for everybody to go home and work from home uh to remote in on the computers in the office i was there uh all the time because uh, i live uh, on the same street uh with the office so it's really easy for me uh and um yeah, uh, one of our colleagues uh, decided to get a, a freelance job because he wasn't sure how long uh, that thing would last. And um, he, we kind of uh, had to part ways. But then later on, we got two new colleagues uh, joining the team uh, while another one uh, left. So we're kind of the same number as, as when it started. And we found ways uh, that are very interesting to, to collaborate. Uh, you know, these calls in the morning, the check-in calls in the morning, uh, check-in calls in the afternoon every now and then, which are now harder to do <laughs> when we're back here in the office. So I think the discipline that we had through the through the uh, COVID months uh, is something that I'm envious of uh, right now. Um, clients. Kind of stayed uh, missing in action for a while, but we got different clients, and it was a yeah interesting experience, different from the recession in two thousand eight that we went through. And um, how was um, what is your opinion about this uh, remote working or home office or whatever you define it in Romania? Because some call it like differently. <laughs> yeah. I, as I said, I appreciate what uh, the, the challenge that uh, we were uh, f facing and um, the way that we didn't feel much difference, uh, you know, working from home opposed to working from the office, except for the interaction. I mean, you don't get that interaction. I'm, we, for instance, we were not using video during calls because... I don't know, it's 9 a.m., you're in a call, uh, you don't have to wear makeup, you don't have to feel bad for, you know, not fixing your hair or shit like that. You're putting so. makeup on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, secretly, yes, I am. <laughs> nice. No, but I mean, for us guys, it's easier. For a girl, it's, you know, they, 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 they tend to be... You know, looking yeah. after themselves better than the guys. <laughs> yeah, I think so... they over over like uh, over push themselves because sometimes we are not that. <laughs> it's not that important. Uh, but in in general, like if like from now on, let's say we, if if tomorrow it was everything to come back to whatever it was before, uh, would you be still open to be like uh, with some of your employees to be like? If you want to work two, three days from home or four days from home or to like, would it, that be a chance for you? Because, for example, I don't know how it's in the archivist, but in the architectural field, most of the people who I talked to also on this podcast, they were like, 
yeah it's something that we need to do but we're not gonna keep on 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 with this because it doesn't uh work really and um i think it's a matter of mindset yeah it's a matter of mindset it's also a practical a practical thing as i said the the human interaction is not there and um it's it's very important uh, especially when you get new people joining the team uh what is the team how how are they behaving with um, you know among each other the uh how do you pass on the information how do you exchange uh how do you ask for help who do you ask for help do you ask the manager do you ask the someone who's uh you know on a on a Skype call um you have to purposely call them or be in an, in a room like on discord or something that's or like clubhouse i don't know uh so these technical things kind of uh manage to cut the the communication that you would like to have and then there's a synchronicity between what a person does when when they're at home and what what your schedule is in the office because we keep the schedule pretty tight I mean, we start at nine, we finish up at six. So when you're home, you try to, you, you, you become a freestyler of, uh, you know, you get your cat and you extend your lunch and maybe you, I don't know, you take some time off at 11 or something. So uh, people who are not with you in that apartment, when can they re rely on you? These, these are the things that I'm, that we found are a bit daunting when when doing this remote thing and i i don't want to be you know like install this software that's counting the hours and the the moves of your mouse <laughs> right this is not how it works you have to commit and you know it's um it's difficult uh for for a team to to work like that even if there's an upside the downsides are the, the cohesion, the team cohesion and uh, communication is not the same. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be so confident in, in having, you know, maybe temporarily, but uh, if there are ways to go around it, I would, I would definitely choose uh, being here with everybody so we can, you know, interact as humans. That's really important. Us. Yeah, I think I, I the myself. Uh, I most of the time I go to the office, but uh, sometimes I I stay home. But not most of the week I'm in the office. We wear masks, and every time you leave your place, you need to wear yes. a mask and stuff like that. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I think uh, there is something into going in the office as you said relationship team building uh, the one thing that i think it's really easy to do when you're together in the office it's when you have this quick question about this one little thing and then uh, you can ask that and that's something that precisely really, it's not uh, not possible from home but um i think that um i yeah well depends on the organization in my point of view it's that maybe in the future we should use this sort of world exercise of distancing as a possibility for in some special occasion to i don't know work from home uh, and um, being more flexible i don't know we'll see yeah, how yeah, it develops. i 
definitely I definitely support that thought and uh, just you know freelancing is is a very common in the in industry so if you want to work with a freelancer he can be overseas so you're not going to invite him in because it would be not making any sense so if you have a, a, a system put in place which can manage the project with the involvement of someone who's working um, outside the office then it's pretty easy to extend that system to uh, to the whole team. The only thing is, I mean, you need to have a control center, right? So if the the flight control people would be remote, uh, you would still need to some you need someone who with the eyes in the tower, and that's why you have several of those people because they can cover 360 degrees. Right, so this, I think it's kind of the same thing, um, in my opinion. Decide on who's the core team and who's managing stuff from the from the center, and then who can be satellite. Yeah, and as in this thing for me also, there should be like uh, there is some balance where I understand both. Like you need to have some sort of discipline and con control, but you can also like you know knowing the person like uh you can lose it Dep depends it's uh it's an interesting topic i'm i'm very curious how it's gonna envelop my for example my 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 fear was not fear but um i was thinking that by doing this whole remote work uh companies here in the for example in germany or in other countries where for example it's uh um let's call them countries with a high GDP per capita, which means like where mm -hmm. people earn a lot per capita. Yeah. Um, we'll figure out like, why don't we hire people in Poland or Bulgaria or Romania or whatever, pay them like, because in the end of the day, you need some control center somewhere and then you can decentralize everything. But um, I don't know. So far, companies are not... Um, are not uh, leaning towards that idea and this is something that is explained in the book uh, super thinking that when you have a new concept of of or theory of idea it won't become standard until the last person who's hanging on the old idea isn't dead <laughs> so i think oh this my should... God. Okay. Yeah, that's that's radical. That is a radical thing to say, but yeah. Yeah, they make the example of, of facts. You know, like that everybody yeah. still has facts, but nobody uses it. So we're gonna see until when. Uh, yeah. So you cannot ignore the the shift. The, the, there's gonna be a shift, and uh, we've seen, uh, you know, office space uh, around here. Uh, you know, companies downsizing because you know they're downsizing, but the, the per person office space needs to be larger because they got to be spaced uh, differently in the office. So you, they end up occupying the same space, but with less employees. So some people, some companies have moved, uh, have changed uh, uh, offices uh, during this period. And I'm not uh, really sure how they're going to go back. Um, but I, I am confident this is becoming a standard but you know in some regard and it's up to the company to decide um how to cope with future threats that are probably 
going to happen again. So if you, yes, we wear masks, we do all the, you know, sanitizing thing. Um, it works. It works. Um, I think we're healthier for wearing masks because all the pollution doesn't influence us that much. So there's an upside as well. And it's just, uh, you know, you got to sign up to the, to wearing a mask and then you're all right. Uh, and for a small company, I have to admit, paying rent is a hurdle. Any kind of rent. Okay, we're not in London, but we're paying a premium for, for a beautiful space that we're in. And that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's pressure. It would have been so much easier. And if everybody told me, why do you still care for this space? Just give it up. Move into a smaller place or something, an apartment or something. But then, you know, you got all the tech, you need the space to grow. So I, I think, you know, the, the, the main topic here is how you are prepared for, um, for times when uh, uh, things don't work out as you would like them to. Are you prepared? Do you have a runway? Um, does, do you uh, get by, I mean, do you, do you run your business in a way that produces enough uh, revenue for you to just blow uh, shit like this away without even thinking about it? Of course you're affected, but you know, it, it, that's what I was saying earlier. Um, this is a serious game and you got to play it like a pro, right? So um, times when, when you don't get jobs, these happen, you will lose projects. This will happen. We need, we need to understand how, how, what is the, you know, uh, what is the level of the game that we need to play in the archways, arch, industry and not, um, you know, play the, uh, zero sum game because that doesn't help anyone. And um, when you were mentioning games, uh, I think that if Archivist had leagues, you would be for sure in the first league. Uh, I wanted to ask, what is the... Oh, thank uh, you. I, I asked that like for all the other offices too, because uh, also the idea behind the podcast is who is listening to, you know, figure out uh, which direction to take. Uh, what is the entry level for you to be part of Panopticon as a Archivist? archivist uh, artist or architect um, because I asked this question to Lucian too and he said like uh, yeah of course it would be nicer the most experience you have or the most you know to use 3ds max is good but what is the minimum because for example also at Luxigon they said like we're not taking juniors we don't like we need to take people who are already skilled ready to go and maybe slightly adjust to the workflow in the office i know about other because i follow a lot of other offices on social media um it, this is how I'll, uh, also how we find each other yeah. and yeah, yeah, yeah. there, there yeah. is this i uh, don't for sure maybe you know about them they're a huge company in, in bulgaria uh, uh red vertex, red vertex. and they yeah. take every kind of like they're like us i don't know their style of images uh it's uh, i think adjusted for whatever they they need for their clients yeah. but they uh, so many people from in bulgaria just go there or even from abroad learn the skill 
and then they start their own thing and they take every level like if you can open 3ds max and do some boxes i think it's <laughs> it's also okay so what is in your case and since since we're a, a small team um and we, we don't have a an academy uh put in place yet <laughs> We're trying to, to do that for ourselves, not as a service. But I, I think uh, I would love to say we could we could onboard anyone. Um, but then it's up to us whether to send them or, or enroll them in a in a class that teaches them and brings them up to speed to what we need. You know, maybe we need a someone who's good mod uh, who's a good modeler. And that's it. And they don't need to be able to make images. But so far, our approach was that each of us is able to handle any project from A to Z. So you need to be skilled to, you know, to cope with any demand, to cope with any, uh, uh, you know, uh, hurdle in the project, to be aware of how the project runs, uh, the how you need to manage the project, even talk to the client. And this is something that, uh, I mean, a, a full player is the kind of person we, we have been looking for. Uh, and uh, since, you know, we're not uh, 80 or anything, we may not uh, be 80 in, even in 10 years. I don't know. Uh, we're just going to see what the future holds. But um, I would love for us to be able to teach people that are not that skilled and um, of course, no one is skilled to, to doing exactly what we're doing. I mean, someone joining from a from another studio, they have another workflow. The demands were different. You cannot ask someone to be, you know, 100% ready to produce something that only you have on your mind. <laughs> uh, so it's really important to be open-minded. I, I, the only, I think the only big request big ask that I have of, of someone joining is to be a good person. I think uh, Lucian said the same thing. Um, I, we don't like egocentric and selfish people. Um, this is very, very, you know, uh, important for us. So you, you can interact uh, and you can, you're just be humble about things. And this is teamwork. There's never, almost never authorship or, you know, getting upset because your concept didn't pull through or stuff like that. So it's teamwork. We're just trying to make things better together. And uh, everybody who, who joins realizes in the end that they have full control over the, the work that they do. It's not uh, me or a colleague or anyone else telling them what to do, but there is our direction that goes into these projects, uh, which eventually will uh, align the projects with, uh, you know, our our uh, ethos and our goals and the client goals. And then there's also um, a you know a, a certain way of working, a certain pre uh, preset um, um, I don't know workflow or I don't know how to call it tools. It's, you know, you're sitting down in a chair where everything is pretty much set. So you can output an image in five minutes. That's a good image. 
So um, it's it's a it's a it's already a system that works, but there's so many things in ArcVis and technical stuff, and uh, you know Max and V-Ray and uh, all the softwares, the new ones and the new directions and the new lines of thinking and new discoveries that you really must be curious to find them all out, to store them into your brain and to practice them and, you know, try to become better than um, what we're, what we're offering. Are you guys all from Romania at your office currently, or are there some internationals? For now? Yes, we are. We're all uh, from, from down here. Uh, trying to trying to stay um, international in how we name the files and uh, the the work because sometimes you need to transfer files to the client and uh, maybe you, you work with a freelancer but I mean the, the system is meant to be ready to welcome uh, people that are not local but we haven't made that step yet except for you know freelance um, artists that we may work with I think uh I think we could go all day long talking about different topics because I think you have uh many uh, many sides as a person as a character many polygons if I can <laughs> can use a term from you're very high res very uh, high res, res. Uh, and um <laughs> I don't want to take uh, the all your time away from your weekend. Um, it's pleasure, nice man. I want to conclude uh, now in the like we're trying to do small uh, improvements along the way, and uh, we we talked a lot about reading in this episode. Uh, but I want to ask you if you could uh, say what was in your in your life some uh, book or movie or even a song or any kind of media that. Uh, it's uh, was remarkable for you or somehow you know pops up now in your mind uh, so that you can share and the listeners might decide to go with it yeah yeah well that's a great question because i i am a, a music buff first of all i'm a film buff secondly music was with me since i was a child uh, was my my parents would play uh, classical music ever since I was born, so I was just like rigged into music. And I remember one one particular album that I got when I was like 10 maybe, or 9 or 10, which was the soundtrack for by Vangelis for Blade Runner. And I hadn't seen the film. And I tell you, it was so immersive that when I got to see the film, it all clicked. It was like exactly the same feeling. It was so aligned to what was uh, sonically there. And it was a fascination for me, this film, because it, it stuck with me for the rest of my life. And I was really, really young when I saw it. So I think music is, is something that informs the, the, the way I see image making. Uh, although, you know, Many people would say, yeah, look at photography, look at film. Every film that you see is a part, visual parts, uh, you know, sound, whether it's just, you know, sound effects or uh, a dialogue, but music is there all the time. 
and I think you know there's a sort of melancholy to the the stuff to the way I see uh, the uh, the maximum impact in, in an image maybe a romantic approach but um, it's it's I think it's really important to be honest about what your inspirations are and try to find uh, the the exact as as you asked me do you remember ex something in your past dig dig deep in your past and you know not not try don't try to uh to go by the trends but dig and see whether you can you can use something in your in your in your past in your mind in your soul that that can inform the work that you do because being honest about it is is really the, the best thing you can you can do um yeah that's kind of my main my main inspiration and in, in in life i i believe and now you know i was so so happy with a with an with the next one um it really it completely shifted uh that that idea i had about blade runner it's it's much darker it's uh much rougher there's almost no music in this one and that's a lesson to learn you know, you can't stay romantic for the rest of your life. Sometimes you got to be shape-shifting. And we we all need to shape-shift after a while. We need to, to remain relevant. So, yeah, it's a discovery process in life. Nice, man. It's It was super inspiring talking to you. I said to, to Lucian, too, that... Um, as soon as uh, traveling issues are off, I want to uh, travel a little bit around and visit my guests. So I hope that uh, I will be able You're welcome. to visit also your office uh, and uh, you in, in uh, Bucharest and uh, it, to, to make my first uh, Romanian visit. Now I have... A anytime, anytime, dude, anytime. Uh, before we... <laughs> be so happy to, to, to see you here. Before we conclude, where can people shout out? Where can people find uh, more about your work online? So that, and we gonna, I'm gonna for sure link it in the description of the of the episode. Yes, the the website is um, thepanopticon with a k dot com. Um, the Instagram is um, the dot panopticon at the dot panopticon, and of course, on the website you would find links to the to the Behance, to Facebook, to Instagram, and all that stuff. I'm gonna put everything in the description of the episode, and also I want to shout out again that if the people like the podcast can support it on social media at TCI Podcast Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook The Creative Insider. And we have a newsletter where you can get the best of every month in a written form so that you avoid distractions. So join the, the newsletter and thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you, Tudor. Thank you, Georgie. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. It was a huge pleasure and a huge honor to talk to you. Really admire the work that you do and the resilience. So many episodes that I still have to discover and I, I recommend everybody to take a look at the at the podcast and go through each one. It's pure knowledge for free. Thank you, man. Thank you. Have a good weekend. Bye-bye. You too, my friend. Bye.
steps just like that.